cast your country, select your name or your tribe There's people always dying, trying to keep them alive There's bodies decomposing in containers tonight In an abandoned building where The squad has made a mural of a Mexican girl With 15 cans of spray paint in a chemical swirl She's standing in the ashes at the end of the world Four winds blowing through her hair But when great Steph Chura, where her name was unfortunately misspelled on the bill as Chef Chura at a South by Southwest day party where she was playing inside in a small room at Sheriff Charlie's and she didn't sound like this. She had a really interesting voice, but I think her backing band was kind of traditional. And so I was very surprised to hear this record and that it was a lot more interesting than I expected. Yeah, she's bleeding with this voice that's hard to get a past that it's one of those you have to be on board or not. Mm-hmm. And but it is also one that while a little quirky, I think when one first arrives at it, there there is a lot of warmth here. And I, I think that voice, quirky, but with a lot of warmth, uh, reminds me a little of someone who I think is part of why this album sounds this way, which is that she's, this is her second album. And her first album, I guess, got a lot of attention because uh, Will Toledo from Car Seat Headrest is the producer and also plays a guitar and a bunch of other instruments on these tracks. And I think encouraged her to push the sound in a, in a big way. Yeah. She said in interviews that he had a real hand. She really trusted him to have a hand in how the song sounded. And she kind of brought. Hello, everybody. You are listening to Listen Local. I am your host, Julian Mark. I'm a reporter with Mission Local. And um, on the phone with me is Joe Eskenazi. Uh, Today, we are talking about um, Sandra Lee Fewer uh, announced yesterday that she is not going to be uh, running uh, again for re-election for a second term as a board of supervisor. Um, Joe, are you there? I'm definitely here. Uh, decision. Well, this is something that was a long time coming. Uh, and Sandra Lee Fewer was letting it known privately that she would not run uh, to her allies, to her, uh, to her colleagues, uh, to, to a confluence of both of those things. And she was being a bit opaque about it in public. Uh, in the Chronicle, she said she was 90% sure she was going to run, but that was clearly not that was that was clearly not uh, if you drilled down um, particularly accurate. You know, there's on the other hand, you know, saying I'm not going to run again, and um, and, and there goes all my leverage, and everyone else can start raising funds, and uh, is, is not always the best political thing to do. But uh, simply put, not everybody enjoys being a supervisor. 
Yeah, you know, the viewer was not having fun. <laughs> yeah, and and just on that, I mean, who is Sandra Viewer? And and I guess uh, I mean, my main question is is you know how what kind of supervisor was she uh, is she and you know how will she when I guess the local history books are written how will she be remembered? What kind of supervisor will she be remembered as? Uh, I think that there's a lot of things. I mean, it depends on what prism you view San Francisco through. Uh, the fact that there wasn't rampant development on the west side is going to be irksome to some people who uh, monomaniacally focus on that and that alone. But Sandra Lee Fewer did a lot of things. Um, she was an effective budget chair. Um, you know, she was respected by the mayor's office because while they differed, everything was kept on a professional level. And, um, and you know, important among politicians, Sandra Lee Fewer didn't lead you on. <laughs> which is kind of funny because, you know, uh, with her own professional situation, she was uh, she was coy. But, you know, amongst her colleagues, uh, you know, she'd tell you, I'll vote for this or I won't vote for this. And, you know, she had a good relationship with the mayor and she had a good relationship with uh, most of her colleagues on the board, you know, across uh, several spectrums. So, uh, you know, that there's a collegiality and kind of like, you know, an old fashioned, just, you know, um, you know, polite politics there. On the other hand, there's parts of it that aren't so polite. You know, uh, I think people will remember the profane chant about the Police Officers Association, but that's not as important as, as you know, pushing for a public bank, um, the Office of Racial Equity, um, uh, other things like that. Yeah, um, you know, and, and on that, I mean, it is, it's, it's very interesting, you know, um, how um, people, you know, do end up uh, getting remembered, you know, how the, how the history books are written and, um, you know, she it sounds like she will, you know, be kind of remembered as as, the, you know, as the supervisor who did that chant. No, I think that's that's, you know, I mean, certainly in the same way that, you know, I mean, you and I are both looking at this incredible, incriminating infra, uh, evidence from Lev Parnas about the president and about Rudy Giuliani. But everybody in the news is reading about um, an incredibly idiotic spat between Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and her supporters. What's important and what gets written down and what people read are not always the same things. I think, that you know, the, the chant is going to probably, you know, I mean, these are the kinds of things that show up in like the top couple paragraphs of your obituary. And that's just how it's <laughs> going to be. Right. You know, <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. I mean, um, how will, um, you know, in terms of, um, you know, I, I just want to, you know, clarify, though, you know, what was sort of behind that, you know, that decision. And I guess you know, she she didn't want to just take take this supervisor uh, supervisorial role on, you know, to her shoulders at her age. Like, what did she tell you about that? I'm sorry, say it again. Yeah, well, I mean, what I guess exactly was behind her her decision not to take on another four years of of, you know, sparring it out in the board of supervisors? You know, it's just it's it's a job that even in the best of times can be exhausting and uh, not everybody is cut out to or wants to um, be an elected official. Um, it, it's 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 just a challenging thing. You know, even your friends can give you a hard time. I mean, amongst um, Supervisor Fewer's progressive allies, there was incredible enmity during the board presidential, pro, you know, um, uh, selection process. Mm. And she and she ended up helping uh, Norman Yee to become president. But. Uh, was accused of um, a being a dupe of uh, of men on the board and b um, you know in some of the kind of uh, mindless uh, politicking going on was accused you know essentially being a misogynist which is uh, which is quite a lot right you know like not everybody not everybody wants to put up with stuff like that uh, there was uh, just a lot of 
you know, it's, it's just a very all-consuming job. If you're going to do it right, you've got to, you've got to work nights and weekends. And um, there's also the situation where she was being threatened by, um, you know, members of the Police Officers Association, or at least members of the Police Officers Association at the time in 2018. Well, uh, Gary, De- Gary Delanis, then a consultant, formerly a president, threatened to uh, disclose her husband's confidential police records. Well, let, let's get to that in a second. But I, you know, yeah. what I want so, like, to... That's, that's, that's the kind of nastiness that, like, she right. didn't count on. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, so, I mean, with that, I mean, she's... Now she's she's leaving. She held off. She held off. She, you know, she's told the Chronicle, you know, uh, kind of late last year that, you know, she was 90% sure that she was going to run again. And, you know, but now, you know, now she's 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 you know, come out with it. And, and who is, I guess, uh, who is her successor? Who is the, you know, who are the people who are lining up to be her successors, her successor? Uh, no one's declared yet. Oh, but, really? Uh, no one's declared yet, but, uh, I, um, uh, I mean, I think you'd have to be anyone who's doing any kind of homework knows that, uh, I, I would expect within the next 24 hours that Connie Chan, um, uh, formerly, uh, an assistant for, uh, Kamala Harris, uh, for uh, Supervisor Peskin uh, and others, uh, will declare. And Connie Chan's a very attractive candidate, um, uh, lots of government experience, uh, Chinese-American, fluent speaker, grew up in Chinatown, um, you know, married to a fireman, uh, lots, of, lots of things that you can do. Uh, also within the mayor's office, I, I would be surprised, but not uh, gobsmacked if Marjan Philhauer uh, who uh, Sandy Fuhr beat in 2016 declares coming out of the moderate branch. Uh, that's not a dead certainty, but certainly, you know, she obviously can raise funds um, like a champ and, uh, you know, is known in the district. Um, the question is, does she want to leave that job or does she want to potentially like take other jobs in the mayor's office if they open up? So I guess, you know, maybe apologies if this question is kind of out of left field, but what I'm, you know, how I kind of imagine things and correct me if I'm wrong is that, you know, the, the mayor, you know, seeing this open seat will see an opportunity to, uh, you know, put a little bit more influence on this heavily progressive board. And, you know, Sandra Fewer, you know, with her, um, uh, with her, you know, in her progressive, um, pact will, uh, you know, essentially try to just, you know, put in somebody who, who she, you know, thinks is the right person. And so will that power struggle that take place? I don't think she can put in anybody. Well, not put she... in, but I guess, uh, you know, um, put her weight behind, you know, the the process of getting somebody in. Uh, I I am certain that Sandra Lee Fewer will do everything she can uh, for, uh, for Connie Chan. <laughs> All right. Um, well, so, you know, we talked about this, uh, we talked about this chant, and I'm going to uh, play uh, the audio from from the chant. And, you know, we we see Sandra Fewer, she, you know, I saw her uh, on at the November 5th uh, um, party for Chesa Boudin. And, you know, her demeanor is so it's so interesting. You know, when you when you observe her in person, she's she's kind of she stands in the back. She's not you know, shaking a lot of hands, you know, she was definitely kind of standing in the back row, you know, during the whole party, uh, the election night, uh, Chesa Boudin party um, at the uh, food court on Division Street. And um, but then, you know, she gets up on stage, uh, Jane Kim introduces her and this happens. We're going to start with our District 1 supervisor, Sandra Lee One thing to say, which is 
Fuck the POA! So that was uh, that was Sandra Fewer. She she got up and immediately, you know, the first thing that she says is uh, she just screams. I have one thing to say. Fuck the POA. And everybody starts chanting and it becomes this big, you know, flashpoint, you know, news articles and follow ups. And the POA sends her a bo- boxes of Dove soap the next day and she has to apologize to the officers. Now, Joe, you did some reporting um, that was kind of, you know, around you know, Sandra Fewer's relationship with the San Francisco Police Officers Association, which represents uh, most, uh, if not all, the rank-and-file officers of the uh, SFPD. And so, um, you know, it, it felt like ostensibly this was, you know, because the POA spent uh, some $700,000 in attack ads against, uh, to, uh, against Boudin. Um, but you did some reporting around this, and and what did it show about the relationship uh, with uh, Sandra Fewer and and the Police Officers Association? Well, I mean, part of it was indeed uh, the the Police Officers Association's um, you know uh, uh, bull in a china shop role in that race, uh, in which they kind of blundered their way uh, through. They marshaled seven hundred thousand dollars, as you mentioned, from other POAs around the state and around the country. And they kind of had the opposite effect that they wanted. They galvanized uh, Chase Boudin's supporters. Uh, it was it was just done in such a bad way. Like they also put the money in so late that all the people that they possibly could have affected as voters probably already voted. It was just a dumb thing to do all around. That being so, and also it was you know obviously ire ire was raised, and that was the result of it. But um, obviously, um, San, and Sandra Fewer told me this that her personal situation played into it as well. And subsequently, I think in a very smart letter, um, POA President Tony Montoya wrote that if the intention uh, from Gary Delanis was to shut her up or make her behave differently, it backfired spectacularly, uh, you know, and it led to that chant. Uh, so, in fact, you know, uh, I don't know that it's the case, but Sandra Lee Fewer worked like a dog to get Chase Boudin elected. Sandra Lee Fewer, you know, cashed in her connections in Chinatown to try and help him out. And those turned out to be pretty valuable. Uh, so, you know, that was all told, it was just really not a great use of strategy and money enforced by the POA, uh, kind of the opposite inten- of what you intended. In fact, you know, if you're looking for the term for a, a perfect definition of irony, it doesn't involve a diabetic getting run over by an insulin truck. Maybe you found it. So um, so that's that's how that works. Um, but there was um, there was something else. And could you just outline exactly, you know, uh, what happened? I mean, if I can, you know, maybe even do an intro that in. June of 2000, uh, June 28th, uh, 2018, uh, Gary Delanis uh, didn't d- d- send uh, San- Sandra Fewer exactly um, uh, this note, but it was it was given to another former police commander. Uh, so he sent it to Rich Correa, who's a former police commander, right? Uh, and uh, whom, whom he referred to in interesting ways in our own conversation because I spoke to Gary about this, but. Um, he gave Rich Correa the email and asked him to send it along to retired Sergeant John Fewer. And let me uh, let me read a little let me read a little bit from this. Perhaps John Fewer should sit down and think about all the complaints he received and maybe recall some of his alleged actions, as I did last night. And let's see how that will play in front of his wife, Sandra Fewer's colleagues at the board. 
His disciplinary record is quite entertaining, I assure you. They are free to call my bluff if they wish. And so, you know, who is he referring to, you know, San Sandra Fewer's husband, uh, and, you know, how is that relevant? Well, it's not. You know, I mean, uh, Sandra Lee Fewer does evoke her husband's um, experience as a police officer when she's talking about policing matters. Uh, and, and, you know, people have their opinions about, about Sergeant Fewer, but that's neither here nor there. You know, the way I put it before was, um, if years after my retirement, uh, you know, uh, my union uh, sent out my confidential records to try and screw things up for my wife, I'd be very confused. I'd be very upset. And I'd wonder, you know, why did I pay you all those dues? <laughs> uh, so this was this, I mean, like there's levels upon levels of hypocrisy and weirdness here. Uh, the POA has made it their Alamo uh, to not let these records get out of uh, confidential um, status. So to cavalierly threaten to release them to settle political scores for someone who's not even directly involved, for someone who's the spouse of an officer, is just just weird and bad and indefensible. Right. And Gary, right. Gary told me that he asked a lawyer about it, but you don't need to ask a lawyer to, to see the, the, the amazing inconsistency here. I mean, as we all know, the POA sued the city uh, over S Senate Bill 1421 to try and keep, you know, sustained complaints. <laughs> right. from being released. And these right. aren't even sustained complaints. These are just disciplinary matters, you know? Um, yeah. These are, you know, not that, not that these are trifling things. And uh, you can look up Sergeant Fewer, and he was, you know, he was a cop who was trained in the 70s and was often on the front line of things. And, um, you know, there are allegations of, of, of excessive force. And, you know, Ben, he was a cop for 35 years. And then he retired. So, you know, and he's been retired seven years. So, I mean, all of the, all of the innuendo of what's in the record is kind of, Kind of half-assed and stupid, you know. I mean, like, I guess Sergeant John Fewer uh, will have trouble running for office, well, but that's <laughs> that's not the case here, right? Let's just, you know, but let's back up like just a few steps here. I mean, who is Gary Delanis? I mean, what and and what was he doing meddling in this situation, and why was he meddling with with uh, with Sandy Fewer? Uh, so Gary Delanis is the longtime former president and then consultant for the POA, and Gary Delanis is known for his bombastic style and. Um, with Chris Cunney, uh, they did a really good job of building up the wages and benefits of the SFPD to the point where uh, they went from the 92nd highest paid officers in the states, just about the highest big city officers. And, you know, in recent, I, I will say um, for the record that, you know, uh, people have reached out to me and said, I've given Gary too much credit and Chris Cunney too little. But Gary was definitely there. And while he was in leadership, this happened. And he was, you know, you could say that Gary was kind of the the Vader to um, to Chris Cunney's Governor Tarkin. Um, <laughs> you know, he was he was he was he, he was he was the Bud White to to Chris Cunney's Ed Exley. You know, like this was this was. But once once Ed Exley left the picture, Chris Cunney um, uh, uh, became uh, went to the sheriff's department. He ran for sheriff. Uh, he now works. Um, he had worked uh, in the DA's office as the head of investigations. He's very tight with Kamala Harris. Um, he was seen. He was her driver when she was making campaign appearances uh, two years ago in uh, in Nevada. And while so, Gary Delanis was doing what? While Gary Delanis was semi-retired in in the North Bay uh, and <laughs> and writing these letters. <laughs> so right. you get this bombastic letter written in this spirity Agnew way, um, threatening John Fewer, uh, threatening Sandy Fewer. And they took it as blackmail and they um, and they went to the city attorney and went to the district attorney. Now, blackmail's hard, Julian, because blackmail right. has to have a formulation of if you do this, I'll do that. 
if you don't do this, I'll do that. That kind of thing. Yes. For me to say, for me to say, uh, I'm sickened by your actions and I'm going to release these documents to the public is not blackmail. Right. Uh, however, when I asked Gary, what was the point of this email? What he told me is tell Sandy if she opens her mouth again, I'm releasing John's records to the board. What is that's it? the formulation that sounds a lot more like blackmail. Yeah, it, it, very, it very much does. But what does he mean by, you know, I guess what I'm trying to, to get at here is that he was you, tired of Sandy Fuhrer opining yeah. about police matters. And he within the letter uh, that you have before you um, bemoaned uh, her budgeting priorities on police matters. And certainly one of the most um, uh, sticky uh, subjects was tasers and taser funding. Sandy Fuhrer oh, has right. repeatedly blocked the funding for tasers. So even though tasers have been approved for use in some ways uh, by the SFPD, Sandy Fuhrer has blocked the funding to buy them and train everybody with them. And I mean, I, I don't want you to, you know, you know, get too far out of, you know, what you what you know. But, you know, is the fact that, you know, is, is Sandy Fuhrer's record on policing matters, is that perhaps at all colored by, um, you know, her her husband, who was a, you know, a long, long time SFPT veteran cop. I think it is. But I think it is in a more nuanced way. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think that, that she has punitive feelings towards the police officers. Mm -hmm. I think that Sandy Fuhrer would say that um, the way that she thinks about things is how is it going to affect the home lives of the officers? Uh, you know, uh, if, if officers don't get the training and, you know, what we would say liberal policing, you know, techniques, um, how will they be able to live with themselves? Uh, I think that, you know, I mean, John Fuhrer's record is what John Fuhrer's record is. And like, you know, I, I have to think that when you are doing a violent job and, and, uh, and, and doing tough things, it, it, it wears on you. And I think that Sandy Fuhrer wants other cops to not have to do that. Right. You know, I think that's why she's been in favor of liberal policing and she pushed for Chase Boudin and John Fuhrer pushed for Chase Boudin and John Fuhrer uh, fought against Prop H, the taser measure that the POA oh, that's went great. for. So, yeah. you know, I think that you know, people can can go through an experience and say that wasn't the best way to do things. What John Fewer told me is I made all the right decisions. I made all the wrong decisions. And that's a career. Right. And, well, that is a career, uh, right? Yeah. I mean, like you can Google his name, you know, you know what happened. And certainly there are mitigating factors with all these allegations. And a lot of that probably would be in the sealed records. But, you know, these aren't great circumstances. You know, um, it's it takes explaining to get through them. And uh, and, you know, uh, but again, like it's almost kind of a ruse. What he did is not material to Sandra Fewer's legislative career. You know, the same way that if I was an unethical journalist and was accused of that, it wouldn't have anything to do with my wife's career. <laughs> so so it, it, it really just becomes clear why exactly, you know, somebody like, um, you know, uh, Supervisor Fewer, you know, wants to not have to deal with, you know, all of this. And I guess I'm just wondering whether or not this is the normal experience of a San Francisco supervisor? I mean, it seems like you are really, or just any public official, but, you know, especially in the, you know, the no holds barred uh, politics of, of San Francisco City Hall, if if this is what, you know, getting into San Francisco politics mean, is, is this what most supervisors uh, have to deal with? These kinds of, you know, these kinds of backdoor things and threats? I think, well, no, I don't think most people are threatened in this way. I think this was mm. unusual, and that's why it was a story. Mm, right. um, however, I'd have to say this kind of pressure is normal. I talk to a lot of supervisors, and a lot of them do get frustrated. And, you know, the job can be very petty, and, and can be uh, your colleagues can snap at you, and, and, and it's so proper-like and, and, but boring, you know. <laughs> right. and, uh, and, you know, I mean, if you're, 
the constituents, you know, you, it's your job to look out for your constituents, but constituents can be a pain in the ass. And, and, you know, but also even if you're doing the job diligently, it's a hard job. So, I mean, it's a hard job. You know, um, our supervisors are adequately compensated now, but that wasn't the case as recently as, oh, I don't know, a decade ago. They were wow. like $30,000 a year. Oh, no kidding. So, wow. yeah, I think, I think they got a raise from 30 to 90, which is, you know, I mean, they're earning like low 100s now. That's a yeah. good living. Uh-huh. But like yeah. the thing also is that Sandy Fewer didn't need the money. Sandy Fewer is of retirement age. Her husband is retired. You know, they're, they're, they're doing well. Um, it wasn't a matter of needing the paycheck. You know, uh, she's... She decided this, it just wasn't worth it anymore. She said again and again she wanted some degree of personal happiness. I mean, is this a normal thing to to see a supervisor just decide that it's not going to um, uh, they're just they're just not going to con- you know continue anymore? I mean, it, it's been sort of my experience to see that supervisors will will try to hang on as long as they can until maybe they can achieve higher office. I think that's the case. Most people tend to hold on to the job. I I'm sure I can think of people declining to run again, uh, but it's not, it's not dawning on me right now. This is, and so these particular circumstances are unusual. These right. pressures are also unusual. I mean, most people don't get threatening letters like that, threatening family members. Right, I, would say, right. I would say that is out of the norm. But the pressures that Sandy Fuhrer is facing are not unusual. The thing is, is that she doesn't relish the politics of it. There right. are supervisors there who really thrive on politics and thrive on process and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and and just really exist in those meetings. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I think we know who we're talking about. Some people love politics and love, and love right. to do stuff like this. And, you know, they're, they're lawyers or they're autodidact lawyer type, you know, like jailhouse lawyer types. Right, you know, if right. you go through the boards, if you go through the board, like, you know, Catherine Stephanie, a lawyer, you know, like Raphael Mandelman, a lawyer, you know, Hillary Ronan, a lawyer. You know, like these are people who come out of a different place than um, Sandy Feuer, who is, you know, a community activist and a PTA um, was, was, a you know, a... Uh, a stay-at-home mom for many years and then became involved in the schools and then got elected to the school board and then worked with Coleman Youth Advocates. And then, you know, that's a different, that's a different path. And it's, it's a path of, that, that I think in this case leads to someone who just doesn't relish the politics of it and doesn't relish, you know, the, the, um, uh, the process. But it seems like she really rose to the occasion. I mean, you know, managing the she budget. She was a good budget chair, I think. I, I mean, think yeah. She was man- a competent budget chair. And I think the fact that, you know, how well-liked you are isn't the measure of, I mean, like, you know, like Chance the Gardener was very well liked, I imagine, but he wasn't, I wouldn't want him advising the president. Um, in this case, you know, I think Sandy Fuhrer was held uh, in high esteem by her colleagues because of just her professionalism in terms of policy. Now, uh, Sandy, Sandy could be, um, I mean, I think that the chant leads you to, to shows that like sometimes uh, there are, you know, uh, the, the spirit is up and, 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 you know, I think in retrospect, that didn't help. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, that didn't help. That was not necessary. You know, uh, it, it, it actually, I think the, the most harmful thing about the chant is that it plays into the POA's poisonous mantra that, um, that, uh, that it tells the cops that you, you know, only we care for you. Everybody hates you. Um, you know, uh, they're all out to get you. If they can, they'll screw you and put you in jail. And only we're there for you. And, you know, um, and you're the real victim. You know, you with the badge and the gun, uh, you're the real victim. And that's that's poisonous. And uh, and and they've been preaching that for a while. And this unfortunately reinforced that. Uh, So, you know, when. So that happened and that that's not, quote unquote, professional. But in her dealings with her colleagues, I think that, you know, she was square and they and they appreciated that. Mm. And I, I know from the mayor's office, they appreciated that. That she was she was good on her word with the mayor's office and like said, I'll do this. I'll do that. I can't do this. I can't do that. 
Well, that's, that's what's appreciated in City Hall. Well, Joe, I, I appreciate you for, for coming on and taking some time. I know that you sounds like there was a little bit of commotion out there, but uh, thanks uh, for coming. I'm, I'm at my son's preschool, and about 15 kids just came into the room, so now I'm in the hall. And they're probably all <laughs> soaking soaking from the rain. And uh, uh, my, my kid is dry. He was dressed okay. like a dockside worker. I'm wet. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, enjoy that. You know, hope uh, hope they're having fun, and hope you have a, a good day today. Um, and uh, hey, hey, Julian, do we have electric in the office? Uh, yeah, I think we'll have to. Uh, I think we'll have yeah. to check and see if we have electricity yeah. in our uh, office. For, for, our, for our listeners, we had an incident. Uh, we lost electric in the office, which kind of is um, a crippling blow with a modern office these days. Yes, indeed. You know? Well, you are listening to um, uh, Julian Mark, uh, Mission Local reporter, talking to Mission Local editor Joe Eskenazi. Um, thanks, Joe, for your great reporting on this and for joining us today. Uh, this is Listen Local. Uh, we will see you next time. You keep watching over us from the heavens where light is the nucleus to the space filled with darkness and negative matter. Anti gravity pull us what I'd rather feel when I leave this shell eventually. Tied to the mother earth's ground me mentally. Real vibes keep me alive, spiritually. Imagination brings bliss and no cost. When I blink, blink, I receive and no loss. Victory comes small packages like a leaf off another tree brought back by a dove from above. Then I'm gonna rhyme, love. Well, you saw that we're coming ever 